Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver. We're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have an incredible guest today. Sally Crow is on the show, and she's an author, a psychic medium, who has an incredible story. We're going to talk to her in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to patreon.com slash midnight on earth and check out our new Patreon page. We have different tiers of support. Pick a tier of support that you can handle, that you can deal with, that you can assist me in taking on. Because by you directly supporting this podcast, I'm able to have the time, the money freedom to devote even more of my personal energy, my psychic energy, my physical energy, all of my energies into this to help accelerate the growth of humanity. The messages encoded in this podcast are just absolutely stunning and they're light filled and they're chock full of evolution. So Help me get this out there more. Help the guests. Go to patreon.com slash midnight on earth. Support this podcast directly. Patreon.com slash midnight on earth. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, click the button that connects us so you know exactly when things are happening. You know when people like Sally Crow are coming on this show. And most importantly, tell a friend. Tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. You know their frequency. They're your friends, your coworkers, your relatives neighbors. You know them, your internet friends. You may not even have met them before, but you know them and you know me. So match our frequencies, bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. Okay. Okay. So we're just about to talk to Sally Crow, but first I have to read her amazing bio. So here we go. Sally Crow is a natural psychic medium who weaves the traditions of her Irish traveler and Blackfoot heritage with modern magical techniques. For more than 30 years, she has worked as a spirit channel, seer, and intuitive healer, offering readings and teaching workshops throughout the United States and internationally. The author of Spirit Speaker and The Path of Elemental Witchcraft, she lives currently in the Northeast kingdom of vermont and she is here with us right now hello sally crow hi jake thank you for having me so we're going to talk about your book spirit speaker a medium's guide to death and dying which is a powerful book because 
it is a guide that isn't really out there. You're, you're not going to find a step-by-step manual and various perspectives on how to deal with the human death experience. It's just not out there. So I thought it was very unique. So tell me, how did this all start? Like what attracted you as a psychic person? You're very open about that. As a psychic person, what attracted you to dealing with the death experience specifically? Oh, I have a whole book about that. Jump Girl, a the initiation art of a spirit speaker. See, I have two books that are very close because one is that initiation of the spirit speaker. And then this is what it means to be a spirit speaker. I have always been psychic and I've always had spirits that talked to me or showed themselves to me, but I had a major opening when I was 30. So I'm 52. And um, when I was 30, I had a major spiritual opening. I was had already been working as a psychic doing divination and um, looking into people's past, present, future. I was already a Reiki master in multiple schools of Reiki. Um, and then I had this major opening where it was pretty tremendous, but spirit was a big piece of it and my being a medium and even that i would be writing books and that i would be on television i've been on gaia tv already once and i'm going back again so i've had a lot of these things that came forward and that happened it's it's been a a wild ride but um my family was psychic people went to see my grandmother for spirit communication So what was it at 30, though, if you could just bullet point, I'm sure it's a massive story, but was it a download? Was it an interaction with higher beings? Was it all the above? I started my ability to communicate with spirit before them was that I would know when they were around. I was really good if I ever used a Ouija board with anybody um i had natural like sometimes i would get bits in my dreams and stuff and then when i was 30 i had a major opening that involved a couple of things one was um that spirits started like literally talking to me multiple spirits and the other was that i started having memories of a life that i had in egypt and in that life I was a priestess and I had the ability to work magic and healing with my voice. So I was already a Reiki master in three schools of Reiki and I started doing vocal toning. I was like, well, if I could do it, then I can do it now. Um, so it was, it was a really big opening. I've now been done vocal toning for over 20 years. I am a, I'm a good healer. So what is vocal toning for people that don't know? It seems like it would be like some interaction with your energy and their energy field. You're clearing, you're healing. What is that about? So, well, I am a, I'm a Reiki master in six schools of Reiki as well. So I incorporate it with Reiki, but vocal toning is sound healing through the human voice. So we're already aware of it with singing bowls and with, you know, things like drums and flutes and didgeridoos. Um, the voice is a tool that we have with us at all times. And I was already using my hands because I am a Reiki master. So I was already doing working with energy with my hands at the time. So I, it was a natural, like if I was going to work with sound, that this was how it was going to be. And then 
you know, it just came really super easily. I was doing it for six months before I found a sound healing conference online and drove and was only able to take one class, but the people were doing vocal toning. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't make it up. Like I just, <laughs> you know, somebody else does this. So you <laughs> tapped in essentially you, you, you yeah. just like totally intuited this healing modality. Yeah. And then you go and to this I, conference and these people are doing the exact same thing and it just kind of yeah. affirmed it. You, you knew you were getting that download. Yeah. I, well, there was, I had a lot of affirmation when I was having those downloads. I had a spirit speaking with me, um, who's been a close spirit, a spirit guide I've worked with, um, for the last 20 years, who was my younger sister's best friend. And he was able to tell me things about his life that I didn't know, but that my sister was able to confirm. So I was literally getting taught by spirit, but I was also being given confirmation right off the bat about things that I couldn't possibly know, um, but that were accurate. Oh, wow. So then this expands you. This is, this is 30 years old. You're like, you said you're 52. Now this was the start of yeah. your journey. Where do you feel like this path has taken you over the last 20 years? How has it expanded you? Uh, it massively, um, I have written three books. I have taught so many people different forms of magic. I mean, I've been teaching pretty much for 20 years. Spirit communication, I have done for, you know, for 20 years with it becoming quickly one of the things that I did the most in my work. I, my regular job is that I am a psychic. I see people um, about 20 hours a week, I have clients that I do psychic divination for, that I do spirit communication for, that I do healing work for. I put everything that I do under the category of being a healer because I'm not the kind of medium who you'd find doing, um, you know, spirit communication for entertainment like haunted housework. I work with people's beloved dead, um, people who are in mourning, helping them to make connection with their loved ones in spirit. That's my specialty. Yes, the beloved dead. And this is what you talk about a lot in the spirit mm -hmm. speaker book is you're creating a relationship with the beloved dead and the beloved dead. It's not the band with Jerry Garcia. I'm sorry. I had to no, make that joke. Not. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist, <laughs> okay. but um, the beloved dead, these are people that are close to you, your inner circle, yes. your, your ancestral lineage. These are the people that are around you, right? Yes. They're your friends, family, loved ones, and spirit guides. So I often will work with families extensively. So I've always let people record me. And if somebody comes for a session with me and they, I allow them to record me and I tell them like, go home and you know, let your family member who either doesn't believe in this or who's been unable to mourn, let them listen to this with headphones by themselves somewhere. And because I've done that, I will end up with whole families that just keep coming back, bringing other people back to see me. So like my whole business has all in my, has all grown by word of mouth. I have spent hardly anything in my life on advertising um, I even got my first book contract because I did both a psychic reading and spirit communication for um, Robert Simmons, who wrote the Book of Stones. He's a big crystal person, and he introduced me to my 
publisher, Richard Grossinger, who I had a book contract before I had my first book, Jump Girl, um, because I read for them. I I did spirit communication for him. So look, okay, I got to ask you this question, because you've been a psychic your whole life. You had a psychic family. You've been around all of this. What's it like to take on that much energy where you're like 20 hours a week, people's whole life, not just they're telling you their story and you're like, kind of like inputting it as this like movie almost you're taking on their life energy. There's just so much you're taking on. How, how do you process all that energy and what do you do to kind of mitigate that? So first of all, they don't tell me about their life. I tell them about their life. I don't, ask questions when I do readings for people, whether it's, you know, like with spirit communication, I will relay things and they can, but I always tell people in the beginning, I'm like, don't tell me too much. You want to hear this from me, not from you. Um, so I, and then in psychic readings, I literally just sit down with people and start telling them things that are happening in their lives. So, um, I spent most of my twenties, figuring out how to take care of myself as a psychic person, because when I was in my twenties, I owned both a, a witch shop and a bar <laughs> in a college town. Um, so I was doing psychic readings during, you know, the week and stuff like that. But I was also, you know, in a bar um, on a regular basis as an owner. So that became really toxic because even though it was a college bar, most people don't go to bars because they're really happy with themselves, you know? (laughs) Um, So I had to really work on learning how to protect myself. And the thing that helped me the most was learning Reiki, learning Mm. how to psychically protect myself, learning how to work with energy in my body. Um, I had already been practicing witchcraft for, you know, since probably by the time I was 23 years old. And then at 28, I started doing Reiki. So my whole life, I, I'm not only was raised in a psychic family, this is what I do. This is my life path. It's not just my work. I, my hobby is this, my friends do these kind of things. Like this is my, this is my life. Yes. It seems that way. And just based on the amount of incredible information that's just in the one book that I read, I, you know, you seem like a very, very special person, a person on a mission, I would feel like to help humanity. I would say like, that's kind of your vibe, right? Like you feel like a teacher, a leader. Well, actually the one question (laughs) that whenever I've ever been asked by people who were like, I guess like, important people that could help me along my path or whatever you say to get out whatever mission that is um when they ask me what i want i tell them that i want to change the world and that i don't expect to do it by myself but if you ask me what i want to do that's what i want to do and by helping people to understand that we are connected and that spirit exists it doesn't disappear it takes away a lot of fear helps people to heal um And I often help people who are having psychic explosions or awareness openings in their life. Sometimes it feels like an explosion for people because it comes on so heavy and so hard. Oh, yeah. Um, So I've done that for a long time. Um, Wow. Yeah, I definitely am here for a reason. I I would say so. And I just want to back you up a little bit about just about the, the readings that you do and the energy that you deal with. 
essentially what you were saying is, is because people don't ask specific questions, then you're literally just kind of lettering the energy flow through you. So you're not really taking it on in a way that's going to weigh you down or drain you, or do you still have to kind of flush occasionally? I, well, I actually had to this um, week for the first time in a long time where I felt like I was just yesterday, I felt like I was overloaded. And so I, often will tell because i do pretty good at taking care of myself i know how to take care of myself as somebody who's really psychic and but i've had it's been a really intense year you know like 2023 has come on it's a it's a seven in numerology of course yes and seven is the number of the seeker and it is all about consciousness expansion and one of the things that i tell people is that not everybody wakes up happy some people go back to sleep some people are afraid some people are angry some people you know um do it smoothly but the smoothly is not as common um so i've been saying that a lot of times I compare myself to a life raft and, you know, that keeps other people afloat. I have people that I help keep afloat. And yesterday I did a talk with a group of people that I work with. And I said that it was more like being a tugboat that lately it's been like going out and rescue rescue missions, you know, (laughs) because people are really struggling right now and i think we all feel that and know that you know those of us who work in any kind of healing capacity are really feeling well that heaviness you talk about in your book and other people talk about this we're shifting from 3d to 5d and that shift is really hard for untrained people for people that still identify with the body in the third dimension and haven't received the level of training that maybe some of us have they're having a hard time letting go like what do you mean this isn't real what do you mean there's infinite spirit what do you mean there's infinite life throughout the universe and we're just like one facet of that whoa that's a lot to process for people that have been existing in a certain bandwidth for so long i get it i get it but that's why we're here as the healers the informers the people getting the information out we're we're, we're just trying to help i think that most people who are waking up it's more the feeling. So it's that they're the first adjustment. Like I say that when we, I believe we're going through psychic evolution, that as you were saying, more of us are, you know, having psychic experiences than before. And I think it's more like a pendulum. I don't think that this is the only time in history of the world. I think we're kind of swinging back into that more psychic selves. And I think that our first level of experiencing psychic input is through feeling it's that's why so many of us identify as being empathic and so what people are really struggling with is that they're having all of these feelings that they don't even know aren't theirs so they're feeling like they're coming unhinged because you know maybe they started the day out fine but a half an hour in they are angry and what they don't realize is that joe who they're working with is angry right they're feeling joe yes they're in that energy field we're all just living light we're this energy we're we're all interconnected even in a frequency sense like you're thinking about science like it's proven so yes we're in that field and that's part of the shielding you were talking about earlier you learned reiki that was the thing you know i 
for me personally, I occasionally use cannabis as shielding, like mm -hmm. for me, because that really helps me kind of center myself when I go into big public situations. Um, I know that's yeah. not for everybody, but, but there is shielding that has to happen as humans. Yeah, there's a lot of different techniques people can work with on shielding themselves. And it can be as, I mean, for some people, cannabis actually makes them more sensitive because I know people who also use cannabis to have spiritual experiences. So I think it really depends on the person. I'm a fan. So, you know, <laughs> I say find what works for you. Right. Yes. It's really the indica strains are the ones that are like the public strains, the creative strains. I, I you know, that's a different story. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. you know, getting back to the beloved dead, the spirit doesn't die. So our family's with us, they're guiding us. Is that part of their assignment? And then there's other aspects of them working in other dimensions and other places, fulfilling their soul's journey, being re reincarnated. What do you think about that? How does reincarnation play into that? I do believe in reincarnation. I tell people that I've never met a spirit that's been to heaven or to hell. Yes. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily don't believe in a higher realm. I just don't think we get there one shot deal because we're certainly not all given the same benefits in this life. Right. Um, so I believe in reincarnation and I believe um, in a form of carnate, incarnate reincarnation. That's more like what the Celts would describe it as that we pool with our soul families, you know, so we have a tendency to wait for our spirit tribe, if you will, and then reincarnate in again. Um, when we die, if we were mentally healthy, you know, if we had our, our, our life was pretty balanced and we felt pretty good with ourselves, we still go into a life review. We do that regardless, but the life review isn't as painful because even if we've had painful things, chances are we've worked on healing them while we were incarnate. And therefore we are more likely to have a job. You know, so a lot of times a, our ancestors will become spirit guides for not only direct descendants, but sometimes family members who they're working on things that are similar. So maybe if you were, you know, an architect and your great grandfather was also an architect, that spirit guide might be who's working with you because you share this, you know, knowledge, interest, you know, whatever it is. Um, but our spirits look, can look in on more than one person. So while it's kind of like saying there's might be an assignment, like this person might be technically your spirit guide, but to be quite honest, spirit guides aren't kept busy all the time and time isn't the same when we're dead, you know? Right. And they could be more omnipresent essentially in different exactly. spaces at the same time. And then could you say that a portion of them or, or even if we're, I guess that's a human perspective, but some aspect of them is being reincarnated or, or would they yeah. leave, like, how, how would that work? I kind of equate it to video games, actually, because I think it's a modern analogy that people can understand that in video games, you know, like I like RPG games sure. so where you play characters and in that type of game, you might have three characters that you are and all of those characters are very different from each other, but they have some similarity because the player's the same. So the thinking is the same. Okay. Uh but they don't really know each other. Okay. They don't exist at the same time because you can't be playing them all at the same time. And the player 
is the higher consciousness. So yes, you know, because I actually believe more in parallel lifetimes than I believe in past lives, which uh -huh. means that what science looks at as, you know, like that quantum thought of everything is existing at once, a lot of psychics believe that that is what it actually is like that while we are incarnate we're four before we're 40 when we're moving in that linear timeline but once we are only in spirit that timeline doesn't matter just like you said i could if i was a spirit i could be here i could be in ireland i could be in africa all in a split second you know yes definitely and then is that how you explain when you meet someone that's like exactly like your friend. It's like literally like the same spirit, different body. I've had that happen to me so many different times in life where there'll be these cluster of people that maybe have a role in my life personally or, or something like that. And they have the same spirit, but it's a different body. Is that what that is? Well, I think that some people can, there's boy, you can get my brain really going. Some, I think you people can sit inside of people too. Oh. Like this sometimes like, um i've dreamt other people's dreams before so was i you know like and that sounds really strange and i've done psychic work with other psychic people about placing thought inside of somebody's brain being in that you know like that's you know that's there's so much that is possible those aren't the things that i normally do in my work at all you know but those are the kind of things that do exist you know that there is a shared consciousness that we might have and they're actually um in seether which is norse magic there are stories of the priestesses or vulvas um who of riding berserkers in battle which means that they placed their consciousness inside of another person's consciousness while they sat in a black box Whoa. And the berserkers were the incredible warriors that went out and just well, decimated. Berserkers have, the reason it would have to be a berserker is because a berserker can step out, can let go of their consciousness. A berserker is really in a Zen moment while they're in battle. It means that they've given over their thinking brain and they're just in that motion, you know, that could be being led by spirit, could be that... <laughs> um being led by a wise magical practitioner like you know a shaman I mean? a shaman or something yeah, in that like respect. a yes. shaman shamans go into other people's consciousness all the time and share journeys you know like anybody who does shamanic healing when they're working on somebody will very often start to develop the ability to have shared experience it might not look exactly the same but both people will describe the same situation so and that is something that's actually a lot more common than most people think Right. So it kind of lends itself to this concept that there's this super consciousness that's still you that you're able to pop yes. in and out of or resonate with enough to share space with these other consciousnesses. Right. And heal them. And so, right. Exactly. So all of those things, though, help to people to understand, like if somebody's ever had an experience on a Reiki table where they journeyed, where they went and had visions, that is a moment actually when they've, they've stepped outside of their body that's a moment when they're traveling as spirit. And those kind of moments are very much a kind of like softer version than a out-of-body experience. 
Um, you know, the out-of-body experience, a person might really consciously know they're not in their body and be able to even see their body looking down on it. But both journey work and out-of-body experiences help us in the living to understand more clearly that our spirit and our body are not the same thing. Wow. So then would you say the afterlife, is it a full body experience based on that? Like when you leave, are, are, do you look down and are you a light body? Are you a representation of your physical body? Like, what do you think about yeah, that? It depends on what the spirit wants. I've met spirits. Um, my husband's spirit guide, for example, was a um, doctor, at least in one of his lives in um, England during the industrial revolution. And he has like a wood office, like everything is wood, you know, like wood cabinets, wood, everything. And I know that because every time that you talk to him or a lot, most of the time when you do, you talk to him in his office, he presents a whole office to you, not just himself. Okay. So that now other spirits don't want to even be a body. They don't want that. That's not their comfortable space. I do know that they can have memories of things like food and stuff, but it's not quite the same, but they do love it when we have those things in their honor, when we eat their favorite candy bar or smoke cannabis for them or have a beer and we're talking about them telling stories or actually saying, I'm sharing this with you, dad, or I'm sharing this with you to your friend. Um, Yes, you do talk about that. (laughs) Yes, you do talk about that in your book, how spirits love food. They love drink. They love smoke. And obviously from a material sense, they can't engage with it, but they enjoy the energy of it. So somehow that energy travels through those dimensions. It does. And it's an interesting thing because I have a lot of food allergies. And um, so I can't do dairy. I can't do wheat. But in the summertime, sometimes when I'm driving by like an ice cream shop, I'll be like, I'm going to have, <laughs> and I will like name off the, everything that I'm going to eat that I can't. And one time my husband was like, well, why would you do that to yourself? And I'm like, because I'm remembering it and it's enjoyable. And that's how I equate it to how spirit experiences those offerings is they remember how much they love pumpkin pie. They remembered how much they loved tobacco, you know, whatever it is that right. is their thing. Oh, that's and so stories. interesting. Because the stories invoke the spirit as well, right? Because Absolutely. you tune into their frequency. You're tuning into their story, their presence. And also and they love them. to be remembered. Yes. They love to be remembered. So when you're telling stories about them, um, when you put up an altar with pictures of them or momentums of them, when you tell your children and grandchildren about them, I have grandchildren and my grandchildren know who my great grandmother was, even though of course they've never met her, you know, but it's the connection still real. It's still there. Exactly. And you were talking about these ancestors being spirit guides, but they're different than angels. Can, can you explain mm-hmm. how they're different and, and do they play specifically different roles? What do you think? Yeah. Um, I don't think that most people have actual angels watching out over them. I do believe that angels exist. I think that they have 
a higher purpose and that people can work with angels intentionally, but I don't think that it's actual angels who are watching over us every day. I think it's our ancestors, our spirit guides. And so there are differences. Our spirit guides that watch over us throughout our life are the ones who encourage us. And often we're hearing them. We don't realize we are. They're the ones who, um, you know, there's so many stories of people being, you know, told to do something really at that moment that by doing it actually saved their life. And they just know that they heard a voice in their head saying, get up, move across the room now. And they, it was so comfortable and so powerful that they got up and walked across the room and in doing so saved themselves, you know? So that happens all the time. We do experience our spirit guides. And they attribute that though to angels in some cases, but you did mention that the angel experience is so powerful that it's exactly. a completely different experience. Like you would know, like if it was an right. angel. When people are, and sometimes that could be that they had, I'm not going to say that everybody didn't. I'm just going to say it doesn't happen as often as Hallmark would like us to believe. <laughs> hey, who doesn't also, love those angel shows? Actually, Come on. <laughs> if you actually read anything about angels, whether it be in the Bible, whether it be in ancient Mesopotamian text, they actually, even in the Bible, were quite a fearful presence. You know, they come in and it is overpowering. And I'm always like, and remember, angels fucking carry swords. Oops. No, it's <laughs> fine. You can curse on this podcast. Okay. Yes. It, they do. I mean, there's a lot of energy there. There is. And so, you know, I don't doubt that people do have experiences with angels. I just don't think that every moment that we have that feeling of somebody being there for us and need that it's an angel. I think a lot of times it's our ancestors. It's our spirit guides. Okay. And a lot of these people though, unfortunately, maybe they don't have family connections to understand that, you know, maybe they're disconnected or maybe they're, they're connected to their grandparents and that's about as far as it goes. Right. And then they just don't understand. No, I can totally see that. Right. But you felt like your ancestors, though, being the spirit guides, you can call on them to help you in, in, in safety situations. They can be like ethereal security guards. Yeah, I use mine quite a bit like that. I noticed I that. them very well. <laughs> you do talk um, I, about my that. My father was a Marine, okay. so I tell people that I have a lot of um, real, and he had no boys, and he was very much like a hiker, camper. We were always doing stuff, so I have really good safety sense and i carry that forward in my teachings around spirit and i do ask like if i have to go into a darkened parking lot i don't go into it unless a spirit has already gone and giving me the giving me the heads up that it's okay for me to do so right and you're able to intuit that message and you're able to utilize that it's not selfish at all they're actually there to help you no, so those tools exactly. are available the tools exactly. are there. I think of it like if you were watching a bunch of kids and most of us are going to have that experience in some way or another, watching a bunch of kids and you've got a couple kids sitting in the corner who are playing quietly, keeping to themselves. You've got a couple kids who are acting up and being naughty. And then you have a couple kids who are saying, could I do this? Could I have that? Is it okay if I do this? The kids who are naughty are going to get attention. The kids who are asking are going to get attention. The kids who are sitting in the corner are not. So I'm the kid who's asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you know, it's good because they're there. And I, like you said, it's been, it was a pendulum. I think that there was a time when all of this was very natural and like yes. your high priestess previous experience, it seems to correlate with ancient Egypt and that whole era, the hermetic era. It does seem like people were more dialed into their psychicness. Magic was more of a natural thing. It didn't even seem abnormal. It was just a part of daily life. Uh, I think that it was part of daily life until we started burning witches uh, and we started taking women who knew anything about medicine so or sad. any knowledge of the esoteric were completely taken out of, they were either put into hiding. They were made to think that they were crazy, that they were possessed. And so as that started to change, we're just seeing that it's still been prevalent. It's still been there. It's just a lot of people have hidden it in their lines because they didn't want to be, you know, thought of as having a mental illness or, right. you know, having some kind of demon possession because in reality, psychic skills are considered supernatural, but supernatural is still natural. Yes. If you get a supersized order of fries, you're still eating fries. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Supernatural is part of the human third dimensional multidimensional experience. It's written in. It is. So I do want to ask you, is this then how the pharaohs of Egypt were treated? Is this why they were uh, mummified in that way? And the offerings were left out because they're interacting with these things. And as the pendulum, and that was all natural back then, like they knew that that was happening. This is daily life. The funerary rites of, of most of Egypt were very similar. Even if you were a pharaoh yeah. or a commoner, it seems like that was part of it. I think not just in Egypt. I think in many cultures. I mean, you know, many cultures have venerated their dead. It really has, in my opinion, only been since the 1950s when we started homogenizing what it meant to be an American, that we really started to disengage from those traditions that we had around honoring our ancestors. Many Asian cultures still do. Um, many cultures, um, Native American cultures do, African cultures do, um, you know, some Celtic cultures do. But what happened is in the 1950s, we tried to make what is an American came through television. And so, you know, death became two weeks of casseroles awake in a funeral and you should be over it. And right. that isn't working for people. Yes, it was a very kind of like streamlined, very uh, factory-esque American death ritual. Like you said, the casserole, yeah. the funeral, the wake, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, back to work, back to productivity. Exactly. But what about now? You talked about people getting burned at the stake and all the oppression that these beautiful women have had to deal with over this time throughout history. What about now though, in 2023, it seems like we're at a place where there's a complete opening. Like it seems like what was once classified as mental illness, unfortunately is now yeah. completely mainstream. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have, I had my office in a therapist building for about eight months in between um, during 2020, during the pandemic, um, I moved offices and I was invited by a group of therapists to be, to have my office in their office. And they wanted me to be there because they said that I got more results in shorter time with their clients than they did. 
and uh-huh. I see therapists who come to me for appointments. And I'm so I'm saying like mental health is changing. The way that we look at things is changing. There are so many therapists who I talk to who really want are trying to find ways of bringing these you know, holistic therapies into their practice, because when they're working with their clients, they realize that the things that they did to help themselves get better are the things that fall into that holistic field, whether it's Reiki or, you know, trusting your intuition or developing an understanding that you you are an empathic person, um, or that maybe what you're experiencing isn't mental illness. Um, A lot of mental hospitals now, because I have an understanding of this too, because I work with people who struggle. Um, if they, if people are being treated, therapists will now ask if you hear voices, but it's not always seen as a sign of mental illness because they also ask if it's part of your culture, you know? So for example, uh, people from Africa who might experience spirit as part of their natural life, or excuse me, people like my family, this is part of our understanding of reality. So, um, and I actually have a friend of mine who taught abnormal psychology and he for years would use me as an example. And he would say (laughs) that he would actually say that sometimes when people are hearing voices, they really are. Well, that's the thing. We just somehow we got disconnected from that. Why did we get disconnected from that? It it can't just be organized religion. It can't just be religious persecution because there's so many people on this planet and we're all connected. So what happened that made us shift away from that? Was it some sort of punishment? Did we do something thousands of years ago that we don't even remember? Like what happened with humanity? I don't know about that. I don't really have an answer for what we did, but I can tell you that, you know, I do think that organized religion did play a big piece in it or, you know, like the crusades and all of that, because in cultures that were kept outside of that, there was still a high level of psychic experience. So I think it's always been there and that, you know, we just lived in a lot of, had a lot of years where it was unsafe. It was still safe if you did it within a church walls, you know, like um, Appalachia, for example, is filled with faith healers and, you know, Pentecostal Christianity has um, calling down the Holy Spirit as being part of their services. Spiritualism has people doing mediumship as part of their services. So there's been places where people could do it, but it had to still be through this guise of a gift from God, you know, because to be outside the church with it meant that you were the crazy or it was demons. Yeah. It was, it was not coming through their channels, even though it's the same phenomenon, it's not coming through Mm -hmm. religious channels. So somehow it's Satan or whatever polarity they create in the moment. Right. But that's changing too. In Christianity, there's a lot of opening to that. You know, a lot of people who identify as Christian are also realizing that they want to be able to have an experience with spirit and with their ancestors. And, you know, I have a lot of clients who are Catholic grandmas that come through from spirit, you know, so there's a lot of people who are religious who still seek out spirit communication. 
Christian or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Christ consciousness, we can have a whole podcast episode yes, about that. <laughs> I mean, it really, it seems like if you back up the Jesus story, it's an amalgamation of all these different pagan you know, the philosophies and theologies and various cultures, but Jesus, the person was just like me and you like very aware, advanced mystery school, psychic, you know, and just ha tapped in and figured it out and talked about it. You know, <laughs> that's what I, I think. Like it is. I like to say that God to me anyways, is, is like a gemstone. And we like to look at it from different angles that we can relate yes. to that have to do with our cultural awareness. But a lot of, like you're saying, a lot of the stories are the same and they're teaching us, you know, they're teaching us how to interpret that consciousness that is so much bigger than all of us. Yes. And there's those universal truths, the beautiful universal truths that are in all spiritual teachings that that's, that's where it's at. If you find those truths, that's, that, that's the ancient knowledge right there. That's the puzzle that we're all supposed to put together, but with dead people though, and your incredible book, spirit speaker, Okay, I did have a couple of questions because I, I really wanted to get sure. your perspective on these things. What happens with suicides? Negative suicides, not like in your book where you talked about the assisted death that happened with your friend, mm -hmm. the really positive experience, but what about these traumatic suicides? What happens to a spirit after that? Sure. First of all, the, um, my friend experienced the Death with Dignity Act, which yes. is an assisted suicide, and it is... Um, legal in the state of Vermont. She was the third person in the state of Vermont to take part in that. And that was a very beautiful thing. Suicide is, you know, a last action of somebody who, in my opinion, was already in hell. So I explain emotions through a volume dial, like on a stereo. And if we use that analogy, most of us go through life with our emotions set at about a three or a four. A person who has anxiety, depression, mental illness can have their volume dial set as high as an eight or a nine, which means that they're literally drowning in that emotion. So if we had to go through our day every day with our volume set on our stereo at an eight or a nine, it would make us feel like we were unable to function same thing happens. So when somebody passes, their emotions get turned down to be about a two, which allows them to analytically process how, the, uh, how their life actually played out, where they went wrong, how they misinterpreted things, how other people felt about them, how their actions affected other people. A person who dies by suicide is often put into what I refer to as timeout. Somebody who right. dies from cirrhosis of the liver from long time abuse is also going to probably be in that same place or somebody who went to their death with a lot of, you know, hatred and vileness in their life. They was, they're going to go into a place where they have to reflect on their actions, but they are not in hell. They are not being punished, but they are isolated in some ways. They're not given the job of being a spirit guide. So do they feel the emotions of the actions that they committed during that timeout time that you did talk about in your book? I thought it was yeah. so interesting, this spiritual timeout phase for these beings. Mm. I mean, do they, they do. feel that? Is that part of it? 
they do feel, but like I said, I think I equate it to more like watching something on television. So your emotions are turned down so that you're able to process it, mm. you know? And so like when we're watching something on television that's emotional, we have a reaction to it. We might even cry. We might, you know, get upset, but we're not going to be submerged in that feeling. And that's the thing. And now when somebody's in that space, they still have like maybe love, loved one spirits or, you know, matriarch, patriarch spirits of your family coming and being with them at times, but, and they can be reached through spirit communication in most cases, but there is a lot of time that is in this more reflective place and having to really see their life. And like I said, with those experiences, being able to see it, like if you had an abusive parent, being able to see how that parent felt when they weren't with you, like how much they hated themselves for what they did, but, you know, being able to track that back and see that, oh, well, this was why that happened because their, you know, their childhood was worse than what they gave. You know, we get to explore the bigger part of the story so that it makes sense because often we don't have that. And also that volume dial being out of control, you know, with depression and anxiety, that's real. Yeah, You know, like anybody who's experienced even short-term anxiety knows that it can be overwhelming. So it takes stuck in that space. So it takes time for the person that is at that volume dial when they die to kind of recalibrate. Yeah. And get down to that too. So they could process everything, but they don't get punished. Like, like, no. and, And is there a bonus though? Is there some sort of payoff if they make it for the people that maybe are listening or maybe they're on the edge of suicide and they're like, my God, I can't take it anymore. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You know, this is an interesting thing, Jake. Um, I was telling my husband, everybody wants to talk about suicide. So every podcast that I've been doing, people want to talk about suicide. Oh, interesting. And I am a healer. That's my, that's my thing. So I know that when this kind of stuff comes up, it's for a reason and that I have the ability to have a voice in this. And what I would say is that, yeah, there is a benefit to sticking it out because when we when we die by suicide while we might review our life and be able to process it we still have to learn our lessons in the physical and that means that while we may not have an experience that's quite as hard as what we had we're still going to have to come back in and be tested against those things again you know we're learning lessons and that doesn't mean you're going to be abused and abused and abused but what it means is that yeah being able to move through these things evolves your soul being able to and also here's my biggest thing i work a lot with people who've lost somebody to suicide and i often find that particularly you know if a child has taken their life or if a spouse has or a parent has or a friend has, there is a reality to the fact that suicide is contagious and it's not contagious like a virus. It's contagious because it destroys a circle around it. When somebody passes by suicide, the family members, the loved ones of that person, it ripples out. And I often meet family members who are struggling with their own mental health and their own ability to, you know, be at that same crisis point. Right. And then it just kind of 
it's the fine the straw unfortunately i hate to say it, like the straw that broke the camel's back is just kind of like that final piece that ripples through their yeah. energy field that pushes them over and if somebody is feeling that way i you know there is help there are hotlines out there perhaps you can can you know add a phone number or something i do recommend that um and there you know there's always a you know there's always something there's always something that's worth being here for yes and you are meant to learn the lessons that you're meant to learn. It may show up in a different yeah. way. You may decide to check out, but you're going to come back anyway, and you're going to kind of learn the similar lessons. Just get through the class that you signed up for. I know college can be hard. This dimension, this school can be very difficult at certain times, it can be. but you signed up for it. Just remember that you signed up for it. You did it and your higher self signed up for it. You did it for a purpose. Just stick it out, stick it out. But there is help. You're having a hard time. Yes, for sure. But what about ghost hauntings? I, that's a whole other situation because you have ghosts that are here that they, they didn't leave or part of them left. Like what are these ghosts and apparitions? So that's like multiple. Um, so there's a difference between ghosts and spirits. Okay. In my terminology, a spirit is a, they know they're dead. It's a dead person that knows they're dead. Okay. That's a spirit. Okay. And a spirit can be more than human. A spirit can be, you know, an elemental spirit as well, but a spirit knows they're dead. They know they're a spirit. A ghost does not know they're dead and is often confused. And that's why we end up with what we consider hauntings. Um, but there also can be things like, I think of it as like scarring. So like when we look at, and then they create the kind of creates like a ripple in time, if you will. So like, that's how I explain things like battlefields. I don't think that all those souls are stuck there. I think that there is a ripple in time there in which the moment was so violent that it left a scar. And so the apparitions that we see the, um, you know, like, I had an experience in West Virginia. I was um, staying at a schoolhouse two miles from the Potomac um, in a place called Scrabble Creek. And I really love it. It was really fabulous. But um, the first night that I went to go to sleep there, a Civil War soldier sat down on my bed and he was a confederate soldier so because i was on the the and on the side where they would have been before the um one of the battles of antietam i was near where antietam took place and he i realized that he wasn't dead that i had that i was it was a weird moment of me being there and him being there you know that it was more like this was the night before a battle this was them camped out before a battle, you know, and being in that moment. But you can have these thin places, sometimes created by the Earth's vortexes. That's why people go to places like, you know, Stonehenge and Sedona for these places where spirit is more easily um, accessed. And there are a lot of places around you know, everywhere doesn't just have to be the famous places where there are places where ley lines cross, where you're going to have that energy is more, um, 
you know, in that veil between worlds, if you will. And if a battle happens at a place like that or near a place like that, it's going to also be more likely to leave a scar. Okay? Yes. So, so like a spatial imprint, essentially it's like a psychic yeah. spatial imprint. It stores the information. There's no spiritual aspect to it, but, but it's like a hologram almost like just imprinted with yeah. psychic energy and trauma. It's a little bit more than a hologram sometimes though, because you can interact. I was interacting with that spirit and other oh. mediums I know that have done stuff in like civil war sites have interacted with the spirit. Oh. Um, I also did a seance at a local bakery in Vermont where um, it was another place that was like that. And I'm pretty sure that it was the janitor he thought that he was experiencing spirits like there was an old man that these people they had a bagel depot and they called me in because people kept experiencing being in the bathroom and hearing an old man and sometimes the old man would if you'd come in early in the morning he would be like hello and the way that he was saying it was like he was trying to figure out who he was hearing now it used to be an old creamery and when i did a seance there i found out that he had been the janitor so I think that what was actually happening was in, you know, another vortexy space where both he was experiencing them and they were experiencing him because I certainly do not believe that time is linear. Right. So there was just this overlapping and he's seeing it like, oh my God, there's ghosts and the ghosts are just kind of the time echo from the future. Yes, exactly. So like there's a movie, I think it had Nicole Kidman in it. I think it was called The Others. And in that, she, her and her children were the ghosts, but the whole movie you're watching it and you're thinking they're being haunted and the kids have this weird illness. They can't leave the house, but what's really going on is they are the spirits. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, yeah. there's, there, it's a quantum experience, right? We're, we're outside of space. We're outside of time. There's parallel mm -hmm. dimensions, parallel universes, and all that information is if you strip it all back to just information, it's all swirling and interacting with each other yeah. in these ways that we can't even comprehend. Yeah. Uh, my sister and I have communicated with ourselves and our different age selves through mirrors since we were little kids. And now I, we don't have to use the mirror, but when we were kids, we used a mirror when we were like three or four years old. Um, Whoa, so you, you, you talk to your older selves? Like I actually would have visitation, like see them in the mirror and they'd be communicating with us or, you know, and I still do now. I will talk. Sometimes I'm talking to a self of mine that's just a couple years ahead um, when I wrote my first book, Jump Girl, A Medium's Guide, I'm not sorry, Jump Girl, Initiation of a Spirit Speaker, um, people were like, wow, you must have taken a lot of notes. And I was like, no, I, before I would write a chapter, I would just go into trance and I would go back and I would step into um, my consciousness at a different point. <laughs> Whoa. So, yeah. That's really powerful. So how do you develop these states of consciousness to receive these visions? Like what did you learn to get there? Because you do have to develop something, right? Like you have to train yourself yeah. to be able to process that higher information. So I tell, I teach psychic development. I teach a lot of different kinds of classes on psychic development of different kinds, spirit communication, elemental magic, um, you know, uh, divination, communication, healing, geomancy, um, there's two things you have ability and you have skill. 
and ability is what we're born with. And people who have a lot of ability have a lot of experiences without any training. They have random experiences with spirit, with knowing things, with deja vu, with prophetic dreaming, with lucid dreaming. Um, and skill is the training. I have both because, you know, I was being taught as a young child by my grandmother. And I also started my own interest peaked in it when I was a teenager. And by the time I was 18, I was reading cards for the public. So, um, you know, there's a lot like one of the things is that I have a lifetime of experience and I'm not saying that people can't develop experience. But one of the things that I really try to encourage people to understand is that it's not a competition. You know, everybody can do art. But not everybody's going to be an artist. Some people are just born with more ability, but we should still really appreciate the experiences we have with spirit, even if it's not as powerful as we saw somebody else have. You know, we can develop it, but we also first have to start acknowledging the ways that we are having experiences. So maybe you're not seeing something in vivid color, but maybe you had a dream about your grandmother or you saw something out of the corner of your eye. Those things should still be acknowledged. So that's the start of it. That's the foundation. Yes. It's just opening up to the infinite potential of everything. And I tell people taking the words maybe, kind of, and think so out of our vocabulary when we're talking about our experiences with spirit, because people will often say something <laughs> like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and I think it was my grandmother. And I'm like, okay, well now say this without the word think in it. So I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was my grandmother. And when we say it in the affirmative, our body has a reaction to it. And we know, because then I'll ask them <clears throat> and I'll say, so, and they'll be like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye. It was my grandmother. They know that, yes, it was my grandmother. Yes, I did see that. Yes. And when we start acknowledging those things, it will happen more often, especially if we say something like, hey, grandma, I know it was you. Because then that spirit knows that they got through to you. Because spirit communication, um, I often use the analogy of a police mirror. Yes. in which the spirits are on the side in which they can see us and hear us clearly. And the living are on the side where they sometimes have an idea that something's over there. They might feel something, but they don't have a clear image. And a medium is the cop that can walk between the rooms and say, well, this is what they're saying over there. You know, this is what the message is. So, you know, the your spirits can hear you clearly. Often people will come for spirit communication session with me. And at some point I will say something and somebody will be like, Oh my God, we were talking about that on the way over in the car. And I'll be like, I know they know that they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, cause they were with you in the car. They literally were coming to the appointment with you. So they were listening. Spirits will tell me things like, I'll say your husband's telling me that you um, painted your room purple and it looks like you've got like sheets or something hanging up all what all over your room and the woman will say i did paint my room purple and i closed off half of my room with drapes because i can't handle how big the room is without my husband being there so this happening after death and so that to me is some of the most affirming things that the spirits are still there when they tell me that oh you got a new washer and dryer well how do you know that well because they told me you got a new washer and dryer you know that it's not just telling you a memory 
you know, because when I first started, I used to think, well, maybe I'm reading people's minds, you know, maybe this is just me saying things they want to hear. But spirit started telling things that they didn't know, like, um, they're telling me that your grandmother had a big wooden box filled with embroidered linens. And the woman's like, no, I don't know anything about that. And then calling me a week later because her mother said, yeah, my mom had a box of embroidered linens that were her mother's, you know? So these pieces that spirits bring through are those confirmations, but it also comes from, you know, them being able to see and hear so clearly. So, you know, you are having these moments with them. And if you say, I know that that song that came on the radio, I know you were communicating with me at that time. Then they're going to use that song again. The next time the song comes on, they're going to show up again. It's right. going to become like a calling card. And these are the signs and symbols you talk about. You send the dead communicate with signs and symbols. And that's something you can train yourself to comprehend, to read. What yes. are some of those things now people see these repeating numbers? Those are kinds of assigns, but it's really specific to you or, or the individual, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of the things that spirits will, there's some things that are pretty generic, you know, that they might use that, you know, like, because they know that they've heard about it. Maybe they heard about it before they died from watching a, a spirit show or something. Um, but they will try to do things that they're more comfortable with. So like, if your you know husband really loved music there's a good chance he's going to try to communicate through music and if he does he's not making the dj play that song on the radio instead what's happening is when the song comes on the spirit pushes their energy at you so that you then associate that song with them so they are doing something but if the dj was involved in this the dj would be making a lot more money they could take requests from the dead <laughs> So it's just not necessarily that they were able to tap into the fabric of space and time and get that right. DJ to play it's that song. It's a lot more simplistic than that. <laughs> okay. Spirits are opportunistic. Because people do feel that way sometimes because the synchronicities are so powerful and there's so many happening at the same time that it's hard to yeah. believe that they're not in back of it somehow manipulating it. But it's not they necessarily. Are. But they are. They are. They're it's just both. doing okay. it in the simplest, in the <laughs> simplest way that they can. And it's a lot easier for them to throw their energy at you than it is for them to throw their energy at a DJ they don't know. Okay. Right. So they are opportunistic. If they're, you know, there's things that they have more control over, you know, but it takes energy to move things. If a spirit is making a lot of loud noise, then they're desperately trying to get your attention because it takes a lot of energy for them to do that. And that energy has to come from somewhere. It has to either come from, there's a source of energy on the property, meaning there's some kind of crossing of ley lines and a vortex energy there, or there is a medium living in the house. And that medium might be an untrained one, but that's the source. Uh, so there has to be some battery powering this because they yes. need that as well. They, they don't just have infinite energy, at least in the material exactly. world. Right, exactly. It's like, so a medium is like a conduit and people can be mediums without knowing it. But like, if you have a haunted house and no one living in the haunted house has any ability 
as a medium and it's not sitting on a big old vortex, then nothing's going to happen. But if you move one person into that house who's a natural medium, everybody in the house can have experiences because it doesn't just have to happen to the medium. The medium is the battery, but the spirit can be making the experience happen somewhere else in the house because it's using this source. Oh my God, that's mind blowing because you think about these hauntings that happen around the world and these families yep. are like, I, I don't know, we just moved in, but it's really one of them or like you or said, it could be, it the vortex. Could be it, right, exactly. There can be a, multiple things that are happening. The other thing is, is that People who are natural mediums often find that they're very exhausted because they're having their energy tapped, you know, learning how to, you know, use your energy. I don't let spirit use my energy unless I want them to. Like I have rules around that. But I did it when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I had to learn those things. Um, and I did live in a haunted house. I wrote about that in my first book, Jump Girl. I lived in a haunted house when I was eight years old. And I learned a lot about protecting my own self um, because I had to. And it was like I used to spend most of my time in my upstairs of my house. I have my own room and I was upstairs um, that I had a closet with a light in it and I would stay in my closet with my dolls or my books because I could keep the spirit that was there out. And or if I had to, I could be on my bed because my grandmother had given me my bed. So I told myself that my bed was protected. But what was really happening was I was doing it with my mind and I didn't know how to set up boundaries yet, but I told myself that the spirit couldn't get me in the closet. And I told myself that the spirit couldn't get me on my bed. You know, I created, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So we talked earlier when it was just you and I about my book, Jump Girl, um, you know, and that was a memoir of these things that I learned growing up because my grandmother was part Irish traveler, part um, Blackfoot. And a lot of her teachings were very practical. She didn't use words like psychic. She would say things like, you know, things, Sally, sometimes, you know, things, or sometimes spirits talk to you, Sally, it's okay. But she also, you know, when I was a kid, I wondered why she didn't just come over and kick that spirit out of the house. Like, why did she let me live in this haunted house? Except for that nothing bad really happened to me. And I learned a lot. And the story of my life has been, you know, I, I had my first book called Jump Girl because that's what I am. I'll count to three and jump. You know, I will find my way out of the deep water. So I learn best by deep immersion. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's, that's an incredible way to do it. And if you don't establish those boundaries with these spiritual entities, I've heard from other people that they'll just keep going. They'll go, 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 go. And literally you're, you could be physically drained, but they can't process that information. They're just seeing the energy battery. Yes, exactly. Um, so you have to be careful. And like, I know that a lot of People who are natural mediums can't wear things that are battery operated. I haven't been able to wear battery operated things since I was about eight. Uh, I'll drain like a new watch battery within half a day or, you know, by half a day, it's definitely like four or five hours off and then completely dead within a full day, Um, you know, and it's, these are things that when I was a kid, I didn't realize were part of being a medium. But when I was like 18, I read a book that I got at a dowsing store that was talking about it. And I was like, 
my God, this makes so much sense. You know, it has to do with being somebody who, um, you know, you're just like, I pull energy through me, you know, which is also makes me a good healer. Yes. What about the color black? I, I, I know that wearing black is definitely something that shields people. Uh, and you see a lot of high frequency people, very sensitive people only wearing black because it, it actually creates a little bit of a buffer from people's psychic yeah, fields. I think it's just a cool fashion color too. So. <laughs> it is really cool. Hey, look, I love my black suit. I'll tell you. I know, right? Right. Johnny Cash. <laughs> sure. Um, so black is, you know, it is seen as being able to, you know, be a, de a deflective or a protective color. Um, often when you work with crystals or stones that are black, they have the same thing. They're used in protective magic. They're used in defense. Um, I think that, you know, while some people might be wearing black for that reason, I think that most modern magical practitioners who are wearing black are wearing it mostly for the aesthetic, <laughs> you know, well, maybe it's okay a side too. benefit. Yeah. Maybe it's a side benefit. They don't even realize. But, exactly. Uh, well, you know, because you think about people, we, we talked about him jokingly early on, but Jerry Garcia, you know, being at a grateful dance show, dealing with people high on psychedelics and other plant medicines, like he always wore black and sunglasses because he was dealing with so much tens of thousands of people at the same time, night after night, yeah. projecting their energy. What do you think about plant medicines and the death experience mm -hmm. and the psychic experience? I think there's some amazing things happening with plant medicine and death. Um, so plant medicine is becoming, um, so in Vermont, we are actually looking, there's, they're looking to, we're starting the very beginning stages of decriminalizing um, psychedelics. Like it hasn't been voted in yet, but it's coming up as things for people to write to their senators about and their representatives about. Um, I have a lot of clients all over the country in particular that are therapists who are studying psychedelic um, medicines and for using for deep trauma and for end of life um, and death doulas who are exploring the idea of psychedelics at the end of life for helping people because what it does is that it can help us to move through some of those fears and traumas that we have that might be helping us back from having that smooth transition um, it essentially you know, would take that dial and turn it all the way down Right. And I think that, again, it depends. Like if somebody has never done it before, I don't recommend that they just go, you know, get this street level Jerry Garcia version of it. There's something, you know, like while I think a lot of people might have had fantastic experiences doing it in that manner, there's also a lot of people who had really tragic experiences in that manner. Um, the way that it's being explored now through therapy is very controlled. Right. and um, I've done psychedelics. I've done ayahuasca. I've done psilocybin. Um, I've done psilocybin in, in a guided meditate meditation form or in a form where it was at a retreat center that I won't give information about. Sure. Um, but that um, I went and checked them out because while I had done psilocybin on my own and don't really need a guide, I knew that there might be people who needed it. So I wanted to know what it was like. And that was really a tremendous experience to have somebody who was there as your, 
you know, watching you, your caretaker, giving you the things you needed. I wasn't a person who was going to have a bad experience. Um, but knowing that for somebody who might be having a really deeply emotional or trying experience that there, there are options that are coming about that will allow more people to get it as a therapy. And I think that that is going to be a huge bonus when it comes to death and dying. Yes, they get that therapy uh, being the person dying, but also the grieving family members, the people that are adjusting, yes. it could give them, you know, yeah, that interdimensional experience. Yeah, I know people who are experience. doing that then too. Yes, people who are doing it because they can't get over their grief or they need to maybe learn how to express that grief because, you know, to be quite honest, I run into a lot of people that don't know how to express grief. Now, I do want to say, though, that outside of psychedelics, that people can also explore those things like the extension of their spirit through journey work and guided meditation. When my dad um, was in the last part of his year, when he was dying actively, my sister started doing, you know, guided meditation journey work with him every day and helping him to learn what it was like or felt like to be outside of his body so that when death did come for him there wasn't as much fear or struggling that he was ready to let go he already knew what that felt like to be outside of his body Right. He had essentially a pseudo death experience. And that's why exactly. people talk about DMT because, you know, DMT yeah. is released by the human brain naturally as we depart this dimension and when we come into this dimension and other times as well. So people yep. have had these dry run experiences with these psychedelics. So then when it happens, they're like, oh, yeah, OK, here, here we go. I'm really excited to see where things are going because we are starting to realize that these medicines that have been used throughout history by shamans and medicine men and women um, are really powerful. And when used properly, they can be amazing tools in healing, not just for death, but PTSD of all forms sometimes there's nothing that can even compare to being able to learn how to journey through those processes, whether it's with medicine or through other techniques such as guided meditation, drumming, um, depending on the, what the person's, you know, what their level comfort level is. And there's actually stuff that they're doing right now with there's some experiments that are going on out there with technology, um, you know, in using more of like a video and audio experience for people that can be for people who maybe don't feel comfortable doing things like um, psychedelic medication, medicines, you so, know. So and they can have like they, a VR death experience while they're dying. They could be drifting off with well, audio and vision. I don't know if it's quite that yet, <laughs> but I think that we will find things like that. I think that we're moving into this direction <sighs> where people want to have kind of like, there's ways that we can give ourselves these experiences. If anybody's ever um, done, even for example, float therapy, which is really cool. And you float in a tub that has, you know, it's like a peroxide and I think it's like an Epsom salt and water. And it's like, and it's at the same temperature as your body temperature. And when you float in one of these places, and especially if you do it in the dark with earplugs in, it's a deprivation chamber. Yes. And you start to really lose consciousness of where your body is. You, 
really because like I've done it and like your body does float just a little bit and every now and then it will touch the side of the wall or something and there's no way you can drown because the water is really only like you know maybe a foot or and a half high and it's just got so much buoyancy that you couldn't anyways but you know when you float and you touch and you bounce back into your consciousness you realize that you weren't in your body so these experiences you know there's so many of them for people um you know that you can explore this in different ways even if you are somebody who isn't ready to go into psychedelic medicine right there's other pathways to prepare for death culturally all these advanced uh civilizations throughout the world have always incorporated this preparation for death as a part of their daily mm -hmm. life and we just kind of lost sight of that and really we should be seeing death as a graduation right like even if we go and we help our ancestors we do this other work perhaps we reincarnate who knows perhaps we even show up on other planets there's still this aspect of graduation like you go through the school and you graduate right right yes it is and it's just as much of a celebration as birth is for us you know as we gather around when somebody's being born ancestors loved ones friends they gather around we're crossing and it is a graduation we've learned something we've you know gained knowledge we've had an experience and i think that it's important to remember that like you don't have to have a stellar career or have done something that no one else has ever done before in order to have had a successful life you know sometimes we literally are coming in to experience being part of a family or being part of a community or you know becoming a great gardener and we live in a time where i think a lot of going back to the suicide and the you know earlier i think that on top of all the anxiety we're feeling from climate crisis we also have this extreme pressure that we're supposed to be spectacular in some way and that if we're not that we're somehow a loser instead of just being okay with life being about you know having a family and friends and celebrations and hardships and knowledge and all of the stuff that makes life what it is you know we have been brainwashed into thinking that we have to be instagram perfect and that we have to be like so special that everybody will you know applaud us in some way and it's just not the case because each human being, each light being in this physical body is equal. We're all equal in our yeah. specific roles, the roles, the weight of the roles, all the different things, the information, it's all the same. It's all going back to the same place. And that place isn't putting judgment values on the information. Right. So that's how, and it's certainly not a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's such a human, like very temporal experience. As we evolve from 3d to 5d, we're going to move past that as we're able to turn energy into matter and deal with our material needs in that way, all of that's going to go away anyway. And what defines ourselves and how we value ourselves is really just our relationship with the divine, our relationship with spirit and, and our family and our loved ones, right? I feel that way. <laughs> yeah. But Sally Crow, we've had such an incredible interview. Wow. We've talked about so many things, including 
really, we focused on your book, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. And there's so much you're about. There's so much that we can talk about. But I know that we don't have as much time as they have in the spirit world to experience these no, things. So no. <laughs> we had this very linear, temporal, third dimensional time. And here we are with that. So I want to tell people where to find you. Okay. So first of all, the website. Go to the website, sallycrow.com, www.s-a-l-i-c-r-o-w, sallycrow.com. Go there and you'll find the books. Jump Girl, her first book, The Path of Elemental Witchcraft, A Weird Woman's Book of Shadows, and the most recent book, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying, which again is just really this overview of the whole experience, different cultures, her own personal experience that you can relate to. It's a very powerful book. I, I highly recommend it. And guess what? She does events both in person if you're in the Vermont area and online. So it doesn't matter where in the world you are. You can be a part of these online uh, gatherings that are happening. She does psychic readings. She does spirit sessions. She does weird consultation, healing, and more. It's all there. It's all there at sallycrow.com. So definitely go there and check all that out. And Sally Crow, before we go, is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with. We've talked about so many heady things, death. It's part of the human experience. Is there anything specifically that we didn't cover that you'd like to leave people with? I think you covered most of it, but what I would like to tell people is, you know, we can think anything at any given moment, thousands of things. So when we're having these things pop into our mind, we want to ask ourselves, why are we thinking that instead of immediately writing it off? Because if we choose to see, um, to look for the reasons why something can be an experience, we're going to start to be having miracles all the time or having these spiritual experiences all the time. Instead, most of us choose to spend our time disbelieving, talking ourselves out of an experience we had, telling ourselves all the reasons it couldn't be something. And I would just invite you all to start asking yourself, what if you changed it? What if you instead started saying, what are the reasons that I have that make this something? And why is this happening? And what is, exactly. how to make it real? It's coming. All the information is coming from somewhere. As we expand our awareness, you know, we're going to process this more as humans. And I really appreciate that. It was beautiful. Thank you so much, Sally Crow. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so please hold through the outro music and everyone get the book. Check out the other books, check out our websites, and we will see you next week, Midnight on Earth.